3: Hi Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. I am Brian, with me as always is Chris. And tonight for the first segment we are joined by our friend, the co-host of From Complex to Queens, Lucas Vlahos. Lucas, thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. So uh, for those that haven't been watching the Mets game or been keeping track of anything going on with this team in the last couple days. Uh yesterday Robinson Cano left the game with what has now turned out to be a torn left hamstring. This means that if not for the rest of the season, Cano is certainly out for the next few weeks. Uh we wanted to have Lucas on the show cuz Lucas has a great knowledge of sort of what the Mets have at the minor league system and so Lucas in you know in your estimation, do the Mets have viable second base candidates in the minor leagues or are they going to have to cobble together um Playing time from DFA'd players and whoever's on their current roster.
1: Um, I, I don't know that I'd say viable, but I think they have options in the minors that are better better than who they currently have uh, sitting on the bench. Like right now, they've got Giarme, and who has much with the bat, and that's really a problem when you're also playing Lagaris and, and Nito. Um, in the minors, they've got uh, Ruben Tejada, who who yeah, long time at. Now he's almost 30, but he's put up a 140 weighted in, in AAA this season. Uh, a lot of that's Babbitt Buck, but he, he could be a legit option. Uh, Dilson Herrera is still there and has also hit well, and he's still only 25, and he's young enough to be a legit prospect. Um, if you want, like, a pure speed guide, there's Ars Mendy Alcantara, but he's probably not great. Danny Espinosa, also in AAA, also probably not great. Um, they also have Gavin Cicchini in, in A. He's been mediocre, and they traded for Sam Haggerty in the off season. Um, he'd be a good speed defense specialist, but again, they're probably looking for something more with the bat. So it's really Dilson and, and uh, Ruben Tejada.
3: Is there one of the two that you feel more strongly about in terms of, uh, you know, maybe a better fit for the team? Not so much as a player, you know, in a vacuum, but for what this team is needing, which one mm. do you lean towards?
1: I th- uh, I think I might lean towards uh, Herrera just because I think uh, I I buy the bat a little bit more even though Ruben's line has been more impressive. Um, that said, I think both of them would hit better than Luigi Orme and Adini Hetchiveria. So pay, roll roll a flip a coin and pick one. Um, uh, Dilson's also like I, I buy that Dilson might have made some legitimate changes to his swing to improve a twenty five or that his shoulder is finally healthy after three years of, of intermittent injuries, um, more than I buy that, that light-hitting Ruben Tejada has figured something out at, at, at 29 or 30 after a couple of years of, of kind of
3: bouncing around. Um, are either of those I, guys on the 40-man? I'm sorry, Chris. Real quick, are oh, oh, yeah, I, no, no, go ahead. Go, are either of those guys currently course. on the 40-man? I
1: don't think either of them are, um, but the Mets also have... have easy ways to open up a 40-man spot like I don't believe uh uh Brandon Nimmo is on the 60-day DL he can be shifted there um uh there's any number of guys you could just uh, DFA or, or outright release um I'm trying to think if any other names popped to my head right here I mean the obvious option is just put Nimmo on the 60-day DL you could always release a guy like uh, oh, you could put Franklin Killamie on the 60-day DL as well because he's somehow not there either. Killamie, uh, uh, a top prospect who was uh, lost to TJ earlier, uh, or I guess towards the tail end of last season, but he's not going to contribute this year. So there's two easy spots right there.
2: And I would even say Cano himself could be put on the 60-day soon if you need it. it
1: <laughs> I yeah, mean, probably.
2: I, I I hate to laugh at that situation because I don't like it at all. Uh, but the, the question I was going to ask, is one, uh, I can see what his OPS is in Binghamton. So I am coming at this from a perspective of a friend who's a as diehard MS fan. What about Jimenez? So just describe in, like, however many words you want to use uh, why he's not quite ready to play in the major leagues yet. Um, so Jimenez
1: would have been... But like if Jimenez had, had had continued his i don't know like his 90 90th percentile trajectory he'd probably be ready for the majors right now but um he made a couple swing changes or the mets tweaked his swing a little bit at, which was a reasonable choice but it doesn't seem to have st- stuck or it doesn't work for Jimenez, or he just hasn't gotten used to it whatever the reason his swing's a little messed up this season let's put it that way um he needs more time to to either Decide that he needs to revert to his previous swing or or adapt to this new one. Um, I think if you brought him up right now, he'd be he'd be pretty overmatched by any sort of major league velocity or or, or breaking pitch. I mean, that was that was my big concern about Jimenez coming into the season was his ability to handle uh, breaking balls, and now it seems like he's also having some trouble with with good velocity. So uh, I I'd still put him well below uh, one of the. Perhaps less exciting, but but a higher floor options that are currently in
3: AAA. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of people were hoping the Mets would do, and based on the first game of the doubleheader today, they, they did this to a certain degree, which is to put Jeff McNeil at second base for mm-hmm. the meantime. If that's the case, is there anybody in the high minors that you think would be a better outfield option than Aaron Altair? Right now? Uh,
1: let me introduce you to my good friend, Tim Tebow. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I was um, hoping you'd say that <laughs> Tim Tebow. Uh, no, t- Tim Tebow would not be the first option. I'm sure he's actually hurt right now. Um, you could call up Roger. No, Rajay Davis is also hurt. I believe um, Travis Tyrone is around. We I mean, we know what Travis Tyrone is. He's going to come up. He's going to swing and miss a lot. He's going to run into a couple homers and not be great at defense. He's been playing a decent amount of first base this year um gregor blanco might be cooked braxton lee isn't much i mean right if you're if you're looking for a, a perhaps more interesting uh, uh option with a little bit more upside maybe you grab rhymer rhymer but he's only putting up a 760 ops in AAA, and that's with the with the juiced balls. so i don't I think uh, I'd, I'd go with Tejada or Herrera and at least try them out before I went to any of the outfield options that are uh, at Syracuse or Binghamton. I The Mets do not have great upper minors outfield depth. It was just why Aaron Altair is on the roster.
3: Right. All right. Well, um, any other sort of dark horse people you think the Mets might call up to help with, the, with Incono's absence, if not a second base, just somewhere on the diamond to help in Kano's absence.
1: Yeah, there's just so little depth in the system. Yeah, I mean, the Dark Horse would have been to say, hey, they just say, screw it and call up Tebow. <laughs> but I don't <laughs> think they'd actually do that. Uh, if, if there was someone aside from the two guys I keep coming back to, I do think it'd be Alcantara, just because he has played both the infield and the outfield, and he has a little bit of this up speed, which is uh, an element that this team is lacking that, that certain individuals in the front office might, enjoy as old fashioned baseball people, so he'd be he'd be the least likely candidate I could see getting
3: getting called up. Uh, there's no real great options in double A either. Well that, that was a somewhat depressing appearance on the podcast. But you know Hey, hey
1: man, we might get to see Pickles again or, or, or the return of Ruben Tejada. Both of those would be really good storylines. Um they would be. And there's no Chase Utley to take out Tejada in the uh, <laughs> NLDS this year. There we go.
2: I um, would love it if that storyline goes down. I would love him to have some big moment and just get on TV and just say, fuck Chase Utley. Like, it would be even better not... if
1: the moment was against the Dodgers, who would probably be their, probably be their uh, NLDS opponent if they somehow right. pull this off and win the wildcard game.
2: Yeah, yeah. Wow. I would enjoy that, and he would endear himself to Mets fans even more. Uh. <laughs> hey I think Kike Hernandez still uses Chase Utley's bat so
3: that's true yeah oh man Chris do you think they'd let us publish fuck Chase Utley shirts
2: uh, I'm gonna guess no but that doesn't mean we can't make our own <laughs> that is mm. true
3: <laughs> I well, imagine those sell pretty well
2: Yeah, I would think so too
3: well Lucas has to run but thank you for joining us you can follow Lucas on twitter at LVLAHOS343 And uh, every Monday morning, check them out on From Complex to Queens. Lucas, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
1: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever
2: again. So download
1: the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
3: All right. Well, as we mentioned at the top of the show, Robinson Cano, just as he was starting to, it seems, get hot again, He, he did a few of these stretches throughout the season where he's appeared to be heating up, and then something happens, and that was in the process of happening again, and then here he is with a torn left hamstring. So we heard what Lucas had to say about minor league options, but I guess where I want to start, Chris, is how would you sort of construct the lineup? without Cano there, do you want to see McNeil primarily play second base, presuming that he is okay? Again, for folks who aren't watching the game uh, or who didn't watch the game when you hear this, um, McNeil left in the third inning with a, uh, a calf. Str- a calf um, Cramp. Cramp. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you. Um, doesn't appear to be too serious. But, so if he's healthy, do you want McNeil playing second base and then J.D. Davis starting in left field? What do you sort of see as the uh you know as as the path forward?
2: Yeah, I think that's my preference because it just seems to minimize the players playing out of position, right. which is something that it, you don't want any of these guys to be hurt. Uh certainly not Cano, not Tom Smith, not Brandon Nimmo, not Joanna Cespedes, Uh but if they are hurt and then you have positions open up, then uh, I'm just going to lean toward getting as many guys at their natural positions as you can. And what you said is, I think, what I would prefer. That still leaves you with an outfield of Conforto, Davis, and Ligaris. And I don't know. I've never been a Ligaris hater over the years, but he's also been passable... With the bat. He's never been good. But he hasn't been the r-
3: black hole that is Aaron Altair right now.
2: Well, yeah. Yeah. And he, or current one, Lagarus, <laughs> either. Legars <laughs> uh, does have Altair beat, though, at the moment. Uh, is 42 weighted runs created plus uh, is significantly higher than Altair's. I think it's negative. I know the OPS is like 200. So once they, yeah, negative forty-one. So forty-two negative versus 41. negative forty-one. Holy shitballs! Oh wait, wow. no, actually live. Thank you, Fangraphs. Negative forty-five now. So,
3: <laughs> oh my goodness.
2: Yeah, I. I mean, I don't know. Lagar's last year barely played, so you can't take that stat line too seriously. You look at his career; he's significantly below average as a hitter, as the. Uh, as Michael Conforto gives us hope that the end of this podcast will be even happier, uh, than, than it might otherwise be. Uh, what we're happened? Starting... I'm not watching. What happened? Oh, he, he uh, he hit a home run to like the top of the Coca-Cola corner. Oh uh, my goodness. The Coke then. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, <laughs> I think, I don't know if it cleared all the seats, but wow. Uh, scooter's good. Scooter's good. Um, uh, Sorry, so I got distracted, but look, Juan Lagares is a bad major league hitter, or a, a well below average major league hitter. He's proven that uh, over the course of his career. He's old enough now that I'm not worried that the day he steps into another clubhouse, he's going to turn into Carlos Gomez for three years. Uh, where he, you know, this guy's—he's uh, been on the Mets for a long time. Uh, Gomez wasn't, but all right, he's in his 20s, hasn't figured it out yet, hasn't figured it out, and then all of a sudden he blows up. I don't think that's happening with Lagaris, but I guess I'm being forced to think this by the current situation. <laughs> but maybe, maybe he can just be really bad and not useless as a hitter.
3: Well, I'll say this: There's an excellent chance of Lagaris going to another team and turning into 2019 Carlos Gomez. Yeah, <laughs> just saying.
2: Yeah, um, I, I, I I like that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but the um, yeah. So so you would go with McNeil at second base. You'd go with JD Davis in left field. You'd prefer, um. Lagaris to Altair right now in the outfield. Um, do any of the recent DFA candidates excite you? Uh, our, our pal Maggie Wigan did a piece on amazing Avenue today about the various DF players who have been DFA'd relatively recently. Do any of them seem like a good fit for this team?
2: Uh,
3: offensively, so- let's leave the pitching aside for now. Just talking about the lineup.
2: Right? Yeah. Well, uh, Obviously, obviously, his dribble Cabrera going back to the Nationals is a bummer. And I know people want to write him off that he was DFA'd and released by the Rangers. And his OPS right now isn't pretty. But he, was, he had a good stat line. Not great, but he had a good stat line as of the end of June. And I don't know. I, I'm coming at it again from defending the player who's over 30. But... <laughs> If he had put up a... Like, if seven eleven, I think, is his OPS right now. It's somewhere around there. If that was his high point of the season, okay. I'd be a little more concerned and say, ah, what difference does it make? But it's uh, it, it's not. Oh, my goodness. Tell me. Pete Alonzo. Pinch <laughs> at home run? Yeah. I guess we're not technically allowed to broadcast the game, so... let's just wait five seconds man that was an awesome home run that peter Alonso hit uh earlier tonight
3: (laughs) well don't forget this is coming out tomorrow so we're fine
2: yeah that's true that's true okay we should here's a podcast idea we call a game and just show how bad we are that and (laughs) and and then have and compare and just go this is what you could have but you have gary Gary there we go i like that um
3: Oh, baby. Pete Alonso. Oh,
2: so I keep getting sidetracked. Is it a does this every week? How do they do it?
3: I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so in terms of DFA candidates, no one's jumping out at you.
2: Well, yeah, so the ass man was really the one who was. Um, I don't know. Maggie pointed out Tyler Austin, uh, sort of to like troll my Twins fan cousin a little bit. I wouldn't mind picking him up. Uh, <laughs> You know, you're not looking at it like a defensive wizard in the outfield, but a guy who can hit dingers. Um,
3: and come off the bench. Like, one of the things I think that the Cano injury does is it, re- it remo- removes everybody from the bench that can come in and theoretically give you a big hit. Right. Your bench at this point is just defensive replacements. So bringing in a Tyler Austin, just to be a guy off the bench to, to put put the fear of God in the pitcher, to me, is a, is a good pickup.
2: Yeah. So yeah, there's the like the one thing, is that there haven't been. Uh, Austin could go out there and be like a JD Davis sort of guy. Is my impression in the mm-hmm. outfield, but it's not like some other team has released. Like, where did Carlos Gomez end up? I like,
3: <laughs> oh, I have no idea.
2: I, I I don't recall. I know he wound up with in free agency. I think he signed a, a minor league deal somewhere. Um, I'm not saying he's the answer, but. Yeah, I don't know, non-contending teams or non-fringe wildcard contending teams. If you want to release an outfielder in the next few days, then maybe maybe things get more interesting. But uh, but yeah, uh, generally speaking, I would give Lucroy... Uh, I, I take a flyer on him. Uh, he's, I don't think, ever going to get back to the catcher or, sorry, the hitter that he once was. And I think the Mets are probably too comfortable with Dino uh, playing as much as he is. But I would still, I still think Luke Roy right now is better than Nito. Uh, would you carry three catchers? I really don't expect them to. Mm, almost all the time, I would say no. But then I, <laughs> then I look at the current bench. I don't know it, but I mean, in that, if you're going to bring him in, Nito has got to just go back to Syracuse and then come back in September. Yeah, Probably. Because it's just, you know, what what's he going to do? Yeah, you know, Be the worst pinch hitter <laughs> in the league? Or, like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point.
3: So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, you know, one of the things I think that this Cano injury, and specifically the Cano injury coupled with the McNeil leaving the game today, just showed how thin this team's depth is at the moment in almost every position. Uh, you know, the fact that, that... just Let's just go through the game here. So uh, Lockett had to start because the Mets don't have a better sixth starter option. Uh, McNeil had to... With, with, with McNeil coming out, we had to bring in lagaris and have lagaris and Altair in the outfield together for a part of the game today, which should never happen. Never, never happen. Yeah. Um, you know, you had Guillerme and Hechevarria starting today's game. It's just it was it was ugly, ugly, ugly. Um, but like you said, I don't really see and I don't see a way out of this with the current roster or the minor league roster, which makes it tough.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're just going to really have to depend on that cramp diagnosis for meal holding up. Uh, and him coming back as soon as tomorrow, today, as you're listening to this, or even if he's going to miss any time, one game. Uh, Right. And Conforto has been fantastic. Uh, I've had the opportunity to tweet a lot of things from the Amazing Avenue account about uh, people who think he's overrated lately, so that's (laughs) been nice. Uh, But you're really depending on those three, and Rosario... Uh, has been just as hot as anybody. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But, I mean, you're, the, depending, you're depending on those guys to make up for the fact. And I know Cano has not had a normal Cano season. But you're still depending on a smaller number of guys to really do all the heavy lifting. So, that's fine. I mean, I think they're up to the task. You just hope they that McNeil is relatively healthy, uh, and you hope everybody else stays that way. And, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to think about um, baseball anymore. <laughs> well, you know, we should, we should talk about the All-Star break, right? Since the All-Star break.
3: So if the Mets hold on to win tonight, will they be 18-6 and six since the All-Star break? Or 17-6?
2: I think it would be 17 if they win both of these Obviously, they won the first. But if yeah. they win both doubleheader games, um, I think it would be 17 and six.
3: So 17 and six since the All Star break, they were 11 games under 500 when the All Star break ended. If they hold on to win tonight, they'll be one game over 500. This is an incredible run for this team. They will if they again if they hold on to win tonight. They've won 11 of their last 12. They're just doing stuff that I didn't think this team had it in them. Now, it might very well be too little too late. But you know, they will be I believe two and a half or two games back in the second wild card spot if they win tonight. And it's just it's pretty insane to see how this has gone. It's pretty insane to think about where we were a few weeks ago versus where we are right now in terms of optimism and I mean, look, injuries are always a bummer. But if these injuries happened two, three weeks ago, it would have just been, oh, well, this is the Mets doing what the Mets do. As soon as they start to to get out of the contention, they just totally fall apart, and they're not playing meaningful games in August, let alone September. But we're in a place now where, I mean, if if the Mets just... If the Mets can keep this pace up just a little bit longer or just at least keep this pace up against bad teams, they're going to be playing, you know, to... To borrow the phrase from Jeff Wilpon Meaningful games in September I think Um, At what point does your optimism Turn up a notch Chris
2: I mean I think for me it already Has Which is weird because I'll admit uh, Obviously doing what we do There's never Any period of time During the season or not that I'm not paying Attention Right I'm, I'm always even if I'm not tuned in uh, I'm uh, I know what's happening on a nightly basis but today and, and I know they've you know they've they've won a lot of games uh, since the break and we've been having some fun with them climbing the standings and everything and all, uh, all that but today I, I hadn't had a currently functioning pair of Bluetooth headphones and that this is relevant. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I just went to Best Buy on my lunch break and uh, got a new pair and set them up. And then uh, the, the purpose of it was that I wanted to go out and get a run in at some point this evening, but I wanted to hear or see as much of this double header as I could. And that feeling is something I haven't had in a long time.
3: Yeah, I mean, I watched a good part of both games today, and that's—I mean, this is the Mets in August. This isn't supposed to be this way. Um, yeah, not this season at least.
2: Right. Yeah. No. I, so a month ago, so it, it's that combination of okay, I'm out here making, uh, I'm making every effort I can to make sure that I have that experience of a, a Mets team that's competitive uh, as opposed to on what? Today's the 5th. Uh, on July yes. on July 5th, my emotions and my mood were entirely unaffected by whether or not the Mets won or lost. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's, you're still paying attention, but I don't know. This is like, I know it could last Uh, another week it could last another month it could last until the end of October if we're lucky Uh, but it's just fun it feels good to enjoy these games and that's why when you see beat reporters or anybody else trying to undermine that they're beating up on bad teams you should ignore them because that's what Teams are supposed to do. The Marlins are a joke. The Pirates have turned into a joke this year. Uh, the White Sox came into this year not trying to compete at all. Y- you should never be ashamed of, the, of your team beating up on those kinds of teams. And I know there's somebody, um, I forget his name off the top of my head, but uh, somebody who covers the Phillies made a point. The Phillies had lost two out of three. I, th- I think they actually lost two out of three, but. Uh, he was saying, if you're a contender, uh, you don't do that. And if you do uh, lose two out of three to the White Sox at this point of the season, then you're a pretender. That that kind of message. Right. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's no shame in enjoying when things are going well. And it doesn't matter which team uh, you're beating up on or which teams you're beating up on.
3: No, you know, I, I could understand if the Mets, you know, all of a sudden can't beat the any team over 500, then you can, you know, point to, well, they're only beating bad teams. Well, sure, but right now, during this hot streak, they're looking like they could like they can compete, and we're going to see in a couple of days, you know, when they're playing the Nationals, when they're playing the Phillies, when they're playing the Braves, we're going to see how how they're doing. And I'm not saying that the Mets are going to the World Series just now. But one of the things I had written about last week when the trading deadline passed without much movement was that no matter what else happens for the rest of the season, it's going to be more fun to watch Mets games with Marcus Stroman, Zach Wheeler, and Noah Syndergaard than without those three guys. And so, if nothing else this season, I'm just happy I have another, you know, two months of watching baseball I want to watch. And that's that should be the point. Uh, of course it, it's obviously there's more to it than that, but it's just nice to see some hopefully actually good baseball for the rest of the season and so i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna choose to be a McShane in this situation and be optimistic about everything and uh you know allow my 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 foolhardy optimism to color this uh <laughs> this winning streak and say it's gonna be the start of something beautiful but even if it's not, I'm still happy that we're getting this baseball right now
2: yeah. I know, it is nice, uh, and I mean, this whole season I've been as down on this team as, I don't want to say any season ever, because we've had some bad ones, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, relative to almost four years ago when they were in the World Series, uh, certainly one of the lower points, or some of the lower points were during this season. Um, so yeah, yeah, it, it is. it is just nice to have this uh if it hits the fan then you know so be it but
3: the other sort of amazing thing about about what we're talking about is that the Mets haven't really fixed any of their problems and yet they're just winning now like the right. the, the bullpen hasn't gotten any better <laughs> Mickey Callaway is not all of a sudden a better manager none of that yeah, has no. happened I mean, the only thing I'll say is
2: that uh, I consider Jason Vargas to be a problem. Sure. So they did address that. Agreed. Uh, And and as much as people want to give him credit for being a a passable uh, Major League starter for for quite a period of time there, his performance uh, a little more recently was not great. And I think it was a reminder of who he actually is at this point in his career. Yeah. Whether he's threatening to beat somebody up or not.
3: I'm trying to think who wrote it for us. It was either um, Michael Drago or Dave C. Wrote a piece that was it was entitled, something along the lines of, like, um, Jason Vargas was occasionally good, but always frustrating. Mm. And uh, I feel like that's a, a really good way of looking at it, like even when he was good, he wasn't fun to watch. He was slow. He was, you know, it, it was. It was just, it, it was. He, he again, he was tough to watch. And uh, you know, I'm not upset about him being gone. It was, it was Michael Drago. It, the 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 title was uh, Jason Vargas was often competent but always
2: frustrating. Yeah, so. yeah, I like that. That was a good way of putting it. Yeah.
0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus.
3: That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life.
0: No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
3: Um, so we do have an email this week, Chris. And it kind of ties into something we just talked about. So let's get to it. It's from our friend David. And uh, he said this is his first email to us this season, which is true. David's a longtime emailer, but has been quiet this season. So uh, David, feel free to email more often. He says... um. He was writing to us at 3:30 p.m. today, Monday, August 5th. He said, "This is the Mets' most important day in a season since the 2016 wildcard game. I know it's it will seem far-fetched to think about, but if the Mets find a way to lose both these games, all the good momentum and the project progress is gone, but they would find themselves 3 games back and under 3 games under 500." I sincerely hope the Mets win one or both games today and this email seems silly when you read it on the podcast but he has two questions for us. Uh, First of all, it is crazy to think that this may be the most important game in two years for the Mets. Mm -hmm. Two and a half years, but he's probably not wrong.
2: I mean, they've had important games against shitty Marlins teams that ended very poorly before, so I will take um, and we're still not at the end of the one that's happening while we record, but I will take the first one and to this point, I will gladly take the second one. Uh, yeah,
3: yeah. So his two questions: uh, If Cano goes on the IL, which he did, he proposes making Louis Guillaume the everyday second baseman. What would you do? We kind of talked about
2: that already. So we would yeah. move McNeil there. Um, and I mean, just one quick thing on Guillaume He's always been an easy guy to root for for me. Um, I think that's probably tied to his dad being super cool. <laughs> on, social media (laughs) and in real life and having really good perspective on, on everything uh, related to his son playing in minor or major league baseball. Uh, So he's a good guy to root for. It's not where I would want to go.
3: I don't think at this point in the season, it makes a lot of sense to me. Right. I think if you wanted to start him in April and give him the chance to prove himself I think that's very different. Or if they're out of it in September, and you want to play him a second base every day to see what he's got, I think that's different. I think if they're if they're gunning for a wild card spot, you can't have that offensive black hole in your lineup right now. Um, yeah. All right, but uh, second question: Would you make any changes to the Mets bullpen? I propose making Justin Wilson the closer if they're going to continue with the traditional bullpen roles. I think Diaz could thrive in the eighth inning and Lugo provides the Mets so much value getting out of jams before the ninth. I wouldn't trust Gazelman or Familia as the closer at this time. What do you think? Is there value in continuing with Diaz in the closer role? What do you think, Chris?
2: Um, so he's sort of the season long puzzle that, ideally would be solved at some point. Uh, I'm fine. I've always been in the mindset, and I've never uh, worked in a major league clubhouse, so maybe that's why I have the approach that I do to this stuff. But I've always been in the mindset that, oh, you know, you're not you're not comfortable with whatever. Uh, okay, tough luck. Uh, you're on the team. You're going to pitch the eighth inning for now. So it would be hypocritical, uh, hypocritical of me, to say that I don't think Diaz should be uh, moved around as the team sees fit. But <laughs> I, I, don't know. Like I, to me, if you're if you're going to take him and say, "Hey, we need you to figure this out," it's almost like you want to hit a reset button and say, "Okay, this game's a blowout," or or uh, this game's close but we're down or whatever but put him in situations where it's just go out there get three outs we know you have the stuff we know you're better than what what your stats have been so far this year but we want to get you settled in uh, and, and looking like the guy who we know you are and then seth lugo takes over that traditional closer role in the meantime and uh, i i feel like mets fans uh, overall appreciate lugo a lot uh But he still flies under the radar a little bit. Even more than Conforto. Uh, I know the the league just named him the relief pitcher of July for the National Mm -hmm. League. So, that's some recognition. Um, But monthly and weekly awards aren't national news. Right. So, yeah, for the sake of the team, I, I still think there's, as always... (laughs) <laughs> good or bad season we get to a certain point and it's like man I really wish the Mets treated the bullpen in the offseason the way that we all thought it should have been treated right um but I'm, I'm okay uh, with if you if you just want to shuffle it and say Diaz is going to pitch the sixth or the seventh for a little bit and Lugo is going to pitch the ninth and Wilson is going to pitch the eighth if you want to assign roles and have it go that way uh it's fine with me. Do you do you have any strong feelings of uh, disagreement on that, or?
3: I mean, part of me feels like if 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 the Mets are going to make a run this season, they need to have Diaz right because there's just not enough depth in that bullpen. Otherwise, you could have the best starting rotation of all time, and you need a deeper bullpen than the Mets have right now. Um, you know, Justin Wilson is just not proven enough to me. You know, he's looked good as of late, but he's pitched so little. I'm not comfortable anointing him anything other than the role he's in right now. I think Seth Lugo's elbow is still holding on by a thread. And you don't want to use him too much, but he's just been so damn good. So far, you know, this season. And uh, so I guess you can make an argument for flipping their roles, letting Lugo close for now and letting Diaz set him up, I don't think that's a long-term solution. I also don't know if Diaz's problems are necessarily ninth-inning base. I don't really believe that, That you know, you used to hear it a lot more, but like, you know, for years, oh, so-and-so is an eighth-inning guy. He's not a ninth-inning guy. I don't really believe in that. I never really have. I think it's, you know, for the most part – Relief pitching is relief pitching. You're going to run into stressful situations in any inning, so it doesn't really matter. And Diaz doesn't just melt down when the Mets have a lead or just melt down when the Mets are up by three or less. I mean, he came in the game yesterday. The Mets were up by, was it four? And he gave up a two-run home run? Yep, yeah. You know, so it's it's not like the – he didn't have more pressure on him in that inning – than he would have had an inning before. You know, I, I just I don't I don't buy that. So I don't know what to do with the bullpen. I think that the the real answer with the bullpen is, like you said, it should have been addressed last offseason, or it should be addressed in the coming offseason. But for now, if Wilson's looking good and Gazellman's looking okay, I mean Familia, you know, let a runner reach third base tonight, but Familia didn't let a runner score if if familia or diaz can get themselves right i feel much better about the team going forward um but i just i just don't know i just don't know what the next move is i don't think there's anybody in the minors that makes sense i don't think there's anybody who their current currently on their roster is being misused i just think this is the bullpen we have to deal with and you know best of luck
2: Yeah, (laughs) that sounds right. Right, I mean,
3: (laughs) do you have any? Are are there any like really out of left field ideas you have about this?
2: Um, not with the current group of guys. I think, uh, and and I, I don't know. I I might be misremembering, Um, and there might be people who disagree with it, but. Uh, I don't know if Maggie had mentioned, uh, is it Winkler? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Dan Winkler was traded by the Braves to the Giants when they got Mark Melanson. And the, uh, the Giants DFA'd him right away. I don't think he's signed with anybody else. So he, if, if I'm right about that, maybe, I don't know. For all I know, he's signed back with the Braves or some nonsense. But <laughs> uh, if he's still out there, this is a guy who threw 60 and a third innings in the majors last year, had a 3.43 ERA, 2.76 FIP. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's a guy who's... Potentially useful. Uh, he has a four point nine eighty ADRA this year in 21 and two-thirds innings in the majors. So, obviously there were struggles. Um, strike average came down a little bit. Walk rate went up. And his home run rate skyrocketed. Uh, it's Is gone it- up for a lot of pitchers, but it went from almost never to almost all the time. So, it, it's a high-risk kind of guy. But mm. if he's still out there, then... I don't know. There's there's some track record, short, but some track record of Major League success. And I just feel like the more options they have, uh, the better, especially since you can't make trades anymore in yeah. August.
3: We should just say the Mets just won the ball game, by the way, so they're over 500.
2: Yes. Woohoo. hoo uh, Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, Maggie also mentioned uh, Brian Schlitter. I believe that's how that name is pronounced. <laughs> that's how it looks, at least. Who was yeah. recently D F A would by the Athletics. Um her reasons are, are good ones, which is that he gave up no home runs this year, uh three seven one ERA, and he's um he tends to be a, a ground ball pitcher. And while the Mets don't have great infield defense, it seems like all of their relief pitchers are prone to the home run this year. So to bring in somebody who is not so prone to the home run seems like a very smart move.
2: Mm, yeah. That's a good point.
3: Um but yeah, I mean I think that the the unfortunate answer here is just that with this current team, there's not that much they can do, bullpen wise. Right.
2: But hey, they are they have done the thing that we all were saying they needed to do. Uh and, and that was a tough thing to pull off. <laughs> I mean, how long? Have they been trying to get back over 500? May 28th was less than they were over 500. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being prepared. (laughs) Uh, But there were quotes. There were quotes at that point. um, Well, not then, but like shortly after that. uh, Oh, we just got to get back to 500. Just got to get back. Just got to get back. And it took a long time to do it. And then they did it today, and then they got back over it. And Pete Alonzo is uh, I, I, I made this I might have made this comparison on the uh, podcast, and it's partly because he's so into calling Jeff McNeil uh, squirrel mm-hmm. but uh, Pete mc uh, Pete McNeil, there we go. Pete Alonzo is the dog in the movie up who says <laughs> squirrel yeah. he is he is that dog in power hitting major league baseball <laughs> player form. And I love that. Like he he has this just goofy enthusiasm uh that is endearing and it works because he's so good. Uh you know, to just capable of destroying baseballs and likes having fun. Yeah. I can't argue with that.
3: And you know, What's amazing, and I think it was DJ Short that tweeted this earlier today, which is that the Mets have made this run with Alonso being almost a non-entity during the whole time.
2: Mm. He's not I mean, been playing he, that well. Well, he's, he's hit some home runs uh, that have been really impressive. Some of them, like tonight, have come at really big moments. But yeah, overall, he's he struggled a bit for the last few weeks. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's a valid point. It's nice that they're pulling it off. I mean, thanks in large part to the starting pitching, um, which I guess next week we'll spend some time talking about. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I wrote a thing for today that, that was the rotation as a whole since the All-Star break has been Jacob deGrom, which is insane. And it helps that deGrom has been out of this world good. Um, and
3: Syndergaard's been amazing.
2: Yeah, but yeah. You, you you look at that collective group of stats and it's just like... Oh, yeah, that looks like a DeGrom season, um, or or most of one. And it's everybody. That's that's impressive. It's hard to do. We can dive into that more next week. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Love, hashtag love the Mets. Yes. Go back to our roots.
3: Absolutely. Um, so, Chris, what is your music pick for this week?
2: Oh, man. I'm, I was already raving about something, and now there's something even better than the Mets recently. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, based on reading, and I'll try to keep this concise, but based on reading about it, uh, at Woodstock, Creedence Clearwater Revival uh, was supposed to, or they not supposed to, they did go on after The Grateful Dead. The Grateful Dead had a rain delayed and then rain uh, interference set, Uh, all sorts of things were going wrong. One of the best live bands of all time, The Dead, uh, had a reportedly uh, from everything, everybody has written about it. Terrible set at Woodstock and it ended extra late. Uh, So Credence was uh, apparently pretty pissed off about that and went out and played their set and then told Woodstock can't use anything from us for the movie. Um, pretty much can't use anything that we did here for for anything, and that had to be one of the worst music business decisions of all time, <laughs> in hindsight. Um, but uh, th- there had been a box set. I, I don't know exactly at what point whether it was the 40th anniversary or some other time, but there had been a box set that had two or three songs of of that set on it. But I on Friday,
3: it would have been the 30th anniversary, I. Th- Think, okay. But I, I could be full of shit
2: Okay, yeah, but uh, on Friday The full set was released Presumably uh, Ahead of Fogerty, John Fogerty, Playing uh, the Woodstock 50 festival that has officially Been cancelled and is not happening I assume that has something to do with That full set coming out Well, They also just
3: released a 39 Disc set, I believe, that is Most of Woodstock There are like three songs that There's no recording of Okay. But every known recording from Woodstock, I believe with like one or two exceptions, I think the Hendrix estate uh, is didn't want one thing released. But basically, it, it's, it's as close as we will ever get to a complete Woodstock box set was released just now also for the 50th anniversary.
2: Okay, nice. All right. So, yeah, that, that gives some more context. All that is set up to say that on Friday, I see that Credence at Woodstock is a new release. And I look at it and I'm like, I don't remember them being a Woodstock band. (laughs) (laughs) And then like, I look it up. I'm like, is this, did I just miss this for all this time and whatever? And then I read and get all that context. Uh, and I put it on and it is just so, so good. It is one of the best. And, and I listen to a lot of music, Listen to a lot of live recordings of things. It is one of the best live releases I've ever heard. Uh, It's everything that they were good at, and they were just, it was just, it was, it's oozing with that feel of whatever anger they had that night. Um, And maybe just a little bit of the, like, of like a Woodstock effect. Uh, Fogarty is just impassioned with his singing. The guitars are just melting at you. Uh, there are versions of songs on there that are just so good. Um, I can't recommend it highly enough. I can't imagine anybody not liking it. Uh, so that is my album pick for the are week. You, typically, have you always been a big Credence guy? Yeah, I I wouldn't say, I mean, I I've listened to them pretty good amount i don't want to say i'm like the credence expert of of our generation or anything but (laughs) yeah i've always i've always liked i've always loved them really um but i mean this this recording has me sort of reassessing where they where they rank and and everything um and to be clear it was always in a good place but now i'm like oh wait were they one of the bands that I should talk about as, as one of the greatest bands. Right. Right. Um, And, and yeah. So yeah, that, that album is making me feel things. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, So
3: my dad was always like a guy who liked the newest technology. And so when CDs became a thing, my mom bought him a CD player for Christmas one year and she wanted to get him a CD that was like, not something for the family but something for him. Does that make sense? Like not something that the whole family would enjoy, but like one of his favorite things. Yeah. And so she bought him the best of Credence, the first CD my family ever owned. Um and I I'm sure I had heard Credence before I was 8 or whatever it was, 10, however old that was when I got this when we got the CD player, but like hearing it on a good my my dad had a good record player, but like hearing it on a brand new CD player into a good stereo I remember being blown away by credence when I was like nine, 10 years old, however old I was. So, uh, I on your recommendation, I actually listened to this yesterday, and you are right. This is a hell of a live recording. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You can tell that they're like, we're going to go out there and we're going to show them what a real fucking band sounds like. <laughs> you know, and they just, that's the right. attitude that's, that's, that's going through the whole thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
3: yeah. Just really excellent. Ah, uh, very, very good. So I have a really weird pick for my pick this week. Um, so I, I'm oftentimes surprised and alarmed at how well the Spotify algorithm
2: knows me. i, I think... had I had a conversation about this in with a bunch of people over the weekend.
3: Oh, really? do you agree?
2: Yeah, I think of all the um, big tech company algorithms that are out there. Mm-hmm. it is it, it it can be scary. Uh, but it is by far the best and most useful. Yes, I agree. So um, continue. Sorry, go that's ahead. But too. I did, <laughs> talked um, about it for like 20 minutes over the weekend. So. Uh, that's very interesting. Um, <laughs> so like
3: m- my two favorite albums of all time are A Love Supreme by John Coltrane and The White Album by The Beatles. And uh, while, while A Love Supreme, I think, is probably the best album The White Album is probably my favorite album, if that makes sense. Like, it's one that just I grew up listening to. It's very special to me, and so I'm always very interested to hear. Like, I love. There was a box set released last year that had a bunch of alternate takes and all that. I I eat that shit up. But a couple months ago, the Spotify algorithm put a cover of "Cry Baby Cry" from that album by a pianist named um, uh, Ramsey Lewis into my like into my music. And I was like, Oh, this sounds really interesting. I did some research and it's from an album called mother nature's son, another white album song. And so this is like such an amazing artifact of 1968. The white album came out in night in November of 68, November 22nd, 68, this mother nature's son album came out less than a month later. (laughs) And it's a full studio album of white album covers By this piano player. Um, Like with an orchestra. Like a fully orchestrated cover album. It's it's not the full like double disc set. It's 10 songs in the White Album. But it's 10 songs like arranged, recorded, and released in less than a month. In the year that it... in, In a month after the original record came out. It kind of sounds like a slightly less funky version of the meters but like a very soulful jazzy little bit funky instrumental version of these songs and uh you know as as with anything like this certain covers work just much better than others do but overall it's a really interesting listen and, and i was i was musing on this this week because i was thinking like so who was the audience for this album were they trying to sell it to beatles fans who just wanted more more of these songs was it for jazz and like soul fans who were just who just want to hear this piano player Ramsey Lewis play, you know, whatever it is he wants to play. They're, they're fans of his. Was it for people like having dinner parties to put on where you you might recognize, oh that's the Beatles, but it's not like you're it's it's music that's more maybe set for having a cocktail in a three-piece suit like a madman, I don't know. Like I just, I can't figure out what the audience for this album was but it's really good and it's it's not I listen to every day but I've put it on a few times around the house I'm doing the dishes or um I do a bunch of paper filing at work today so I put it on for that and it's really pleasant and specifically the cover of cry baby cry which is the first song I heard on the album that cover has really really stuck with me and is is very cool so um also it's an early user of the moog synthesizer which is kind of interesting and cool Oh nice and, and uh yeah it's just it's just a weird like album that I don't think could happen today i don't it's so rare now when a band records a cover of a contemporaneous song like when was the last time you remember like on an album, a band covering a song that came out within the last five or six years? does that ever happen anymore
2: um Ah, that's a good question. I mean, I'm sure I, I, it happens actually, somewhere, I, right? Yeah, it, it's very rare. That, yeah. That's the that's the answer to the bigger question. Yeah, the like self trivia of wait, hold on, I think I do know one, but I can't think of it. That that'll, <laughs> I might not be able to sleep tonight. But <laughs> I'm sorry, no, no, that, that's okay. I'm being somewhat dramatic. Yeah. Although I will think about it before I go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, no,
3: the the but, one that I think of is is from the early '90s, which is that. Uh, the Pixies covered a Jesus and Mary Chain song, like two years after it came out, or something like that. Like maybe a year and a half after it came out.
2: Nice, yeah, okay that that's pretty recent. And I would say for the criteria of this, like a split EP where you covered each other's songs doesn't count. No, it doesn't count at all. So,
3: let alone doing an entire album of of contemporaneous covers.
2: Yeah, yeah, no that that's uh, is it, and. Just for the record, I didn't know this existed. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Why would you? right.
3: You know, it's so weird. Um, But it's pretty cool. Uh, So, yeah, it's called Mother Nature's Son by Ramsey Lewis. It's available on Spotify and probably all your streaming platforms. So, you know, if you're looking for something to put on around the house, in the office, whatever, check it out. I think it's kind of cool. I'm also trying to be mindful. Somebody pointed out to me once, they're like, man, you like white guys with guitars. And so I'm trying to somewhat <laughs> diversify my my selections here because I do listen to things that are other than white guys with guitars, but that that is a big part of my my musical listening. It happens. It does happen. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we should also mention we didn't say this at the top of the show. This is an early show this week. Uh, this week, a certain a certain co host of mine is having a birthday. Yep. And uh, we have some other plans we got to do. So tonight made sense to record. And so our good friend Rob Wolf graciously switched with us. And, uh, you know, enjoy, you'll enjoy Rob's show a couple of days later. And uh, we got to record during this thrilling comeback. So, you know, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. LFGM. The LFGM, indeed. Shirts available at amazonavenue.com. <laughs> 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 Speaking of com, Go there We've had a lot of Great stuff Going up recently uh, As Chris mentioned He wrote a great piece About the rotation today He wrote a great piece About Noah Syndergaard Yesterday Maggie Wigan Wrote a great piece About the DFA candidates We we have lots of good stuff On Amazing Avenue Go check it out there You can also find Amazing Avenue On Facebook, Twitter And Instagram At Amazing Avenue You can find this show On Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Stitcher Spotify Anywhere you get podcasts, you can find this show more or less. Please rate, review, and subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts. If that's your thing, that helps us out quite a bit. And uh, make sure to follow Chris on Twitter. He's at Chris McShane. I'm at Brian Needs a Nap. And um, keep those emails coming: aaaudiopodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, let's fucking go, Mets.